1: episode 66 in this episode we will discuss about income protection insurance and changes which may affect you particularly if you don't have an existing policy so if you're looking to buy income protection insurance for yourself and your family or any type of personal insurance product stay tuned for more information later now remember just a disclaimer i'm not a financial advisor i'm not a financial planner Seek formal financial advice before making any financial decisions. The aim of this podcast channel is more for your education and entertainment. I feel generally speaking, and this is just general life advice, try not to base your life decisions after listening to some random guy on a podcast channel about money. But having said that, in recent times, I've had some great feedback from you know people and people that listen to this on a regular basis on how this episode and this podcast channel has really empowered them to learn more about their financial situation and that has empowered them to apply some basic principles to get things in order so if you're an avid listener you know the deal you know what happens next i repeat things a lot not because i like it but repetition really ingrains concepts into your brain to make it second nature Financial knowledge is largely behavioural, and some knowledge is required to exhibit those behaviours. So really having that knowledge means you can execute the steps in order to achieve financial freedom in the long run. I only talk about the long-term sustainability in finances, so I don't encourage people generally to invest for less than 20 years. 20 years is a long time, I know, but that's my starting point. I don't think it's worth it to invest for the short term, and I definitely don't think it's worth it to speculate. For example... Companies like CSL, Commonwealth Bank, NAB, West Farmers, Woolworths, and Telstra, etc. These are all great Aussie companies. I don't invest in each one of them individually. I don't invest in individual stocks. But what I do do is invest in index funds. And in those index funds, some of these companies may exist. Likewise, I don't invest in overseas markets. This is a very common question I get. Why don't I invest in the S&P 500? Why don't I invest in the American markets, the European markets, or the Asian markets? Simple. I don't invest in them because I can't keep track of them. I don't live there. I don't know much about their financial structures. I don't know and understand their business models. So is there a bad thing about this? Is there a downside to this? Absolutely. When you think about what's happened in the last 12 months with Tesla, Amazon, Apple, Well, I've just missed out on a great, great bull market for those companies. Tesla especially has absolutely gone gangbusters in the last three months. But that's okay. I can live with that. What I can't live with is individually picking stocks, racking my brains, trying to pick the best stocks out of the lot and losing a lot of money because it would potentially turn me off investing altogether. So in some respects, I'm loss loss aversion person, right? I don't want to lose money. What does Warren Buffett say? Rule number one, don't lose money. That's what I don't want to do. So I don't speculate, I don't invest in um, individual stocks, and I don't invest in overseas markets. So let's talk about the five basic principles when it comes to personal finances, which you can implement today consistently in the long run to get closer to financial independence and freedom. Step one, always pay yourself first. That's the premise of this entire podcast channel. If you don't learn anything from this podcast channel, please take the money that you get, that you work very hard for, and try and save 20% of your after-tax money and put it away. This is money straight off the top. This is your money. You're getting paid for the hard work that you do. Step number two, take that 20% and invest it. Invest it in things you know. Invest it in things that you understand. If you don't know something, learn about it before ploughing money into it, and until then, just park it in a savings account. We spend so much time researching about cars, phones, computers, homes... But we don't spend as much time with our finances, we don't research much and we work very hard to earn that money. So it makes complete sense to learn about something before you put money into it. Step three, you will hopefully get dividends from those investments. You will earn an income from your asset, okay? So refer to my previous episode, which is episode 65, which talks about dividends and distributions. Generally speaking, I don't invest just for capital gain. I invest to earn an income and reinvest all of that income into my assets. I don't touch the money I get from the dividends and I don't touch the money that I get from distributions. Step four, you must do this for the long term. You're in it for the long term. I don't talk about the short term, 20, 30, 40 plus years even. Otherwise, you won't see the power of compounding really adding up. Now, if you want to know what the power of compounding is, you look at Warren Buffett. He has made billions. He's a multi-billionaire, okay? Mainly in the last 30 years of his life. If you have a look at his wealth, it's just exponentially grown in the last 30 years of his life rather than the first 50 years of his life. That is testament to the power of compounding. And step five, always automate these steps. Less risk, less chances of mucking it up, and less chances of forgetting to invest and save for the future. If you did these basic five steps, you're more likely to end up with more money and assets than you ever imagined possible. Money brings options. It's just a tool. It doesn't make you happy, but you can use it to enhance your life, and most importantly, the lives of people around you. Now, a couple of news updates. If you think about it, at the time of recording this podcast, the S&P ASX 200 is above 7,000, okay? You know, it's not um, it's not the highest it's ever been, but it's certainly not the lowest it's ever been. It's It's really recovered really well, but it's definitely getting higher than I first started investing. When I first started investing, it was certainly quite low, okay? Yes, the world has a lot of things happening at the moment. Trade deals being finalized between the United States, China, and Mexico. Brexit. The coronavirus, it's spreading. People are freaking out. But rest assured, the scientists and the medical experts around the world are honing in and are trying to stem it from infecting others as much as possible. Now, part of that responsibility also lies on the patient, quarantining, self-isolation, etc., etc., okay? Middle East peace talks currently have failed. The propositions have failed when the US tried to, you know, reinstate some of the Middle East peace talks. You talk about what's happening in North Korea, um, you know, they're just doing their own thing. Um, now, Kobe Bryant, this really shocked me as an avid NBA fan. And i follow followed the NBA for many, many years, probably not as close uh, nowadays um, because there's a lot of new players, but certainly in the days of Kobe Bryant and when first LeBron James came in and certainly the good old Michael Jordan, Magic, Johnson, Larry Bird days, um, I just could not believe uh, when I heard the news that he's passed away. Um, it's a really, really sad Uh, for Kobe Bryant's family, of course, but but for all those who also passed away in that helicopter crash. Um, And what's interesting about that, which I didn't know, is that helicopters don't have black boxes. Uh, Maybe not all of them, I'm not sure, which I found was a bit strange. I thought anything that's up in the air um, must have some sort of black box or electronic recording system. Um, When you think about the technology in today's world and think about cars... You know, car companies can extract valuable information from the OBD port, from the microchips that are in each car. And um, planes, we have black boxes. You know, we can track planes when they crash. But when a helicopter crashes, um, I mean, that was something that I didn't really know. Um, and hopefully after this crash, um, you know, hopefully they'll change that regulation. Hopefully they have an inbuilt sort of system in order to um help you know crash investigators analyze. Uh, the voice box recordings of what actually happened in the cockpit just prior to the crashing. Um, Think about what happened to Donald Trump. Um, You know, he basically just got acquitted. Um, So there's lots of things that are happening in the world. Now, why am I talking about this? The world moves on. This is the crux of the matter. Hang in there, invest for the long term, and don't speculate. That is my take-home message from this part of the podcast episode. Now to the main topic, what is happening in the world of personal insurance, okay? If you ever listened to my first 10 episodes of this channel, I would stop and go back and do that first. If you master those concepts, then everything else becomes relatively easy, okay? The way this is structured is the concepts are very sound in my humble opinion, of course, and then basically more and more concepts come out as you learn more and more about your personal financial situation, okay? In episode five in July 2018, it sounds like a long time ago, one of my very first episodes, I discuss personal insurance. I discuss trauma, income protection, life insurance, total permanent disability insurance and others, and why it's really, really important. So if you've read the news lately, you may have heard that the structure of the income protection insurance policies is proposed to be changed, okay? And I think from the new financial year, that's what they're trying to change it from July the first this year. So let's talk a little bit about the background, why they're doing it, and what sort of changes they're doing it. Um, And certainly I learned a lot when I was doing a bit of research about this, okay? Income protection insurance, the companies that offer this, have essentially lost collectively around $3.4 billion over the last five years, okay? APRA, which is the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, are worried because this means income protection insurance policies may not be a viable business model for insurance companies. If if you've got a product that you're losing $3.4 billion over five years, that's not a great business strategy. Okay, so as a result, APRA are recommending and instituting some changes to make sure that income protection insurance policies is a viable product for insurance companies. All right, otherwise, why would insurance companies bother with it? Now, this, as far as I'm aware, and I'll be very interested to learn from uh, the audience if you think this is incorrect, this only affects retail income protection insurance policies as far as I'm aware. It does not affect business income protection insurance policies or policies through your super. If you've heard otherwise, please contact me on CastBox, Facebook, etc. I'm really interested to hear your feedback. But as far as I'm aware, these changes only affect the retail policies. So basically, what are the changes? Now, the crux of the matter is, APRA have proposed to ban the sale of agreed value policies to customers after March 31st, 2020. And they want some feedback from customers before Feb 29, 2020. By the way, I didn't know this year was a leap year, makes you think, with an implementation date of June the 30th and beyond. So they're really trying to implement something in the new financial year. And they're trying to ban any new sales of agreed value policies after March 31st. And they want your feedback um before february the 29th 2020 now if you google that you'll be able to provide that feedback and there's mechanisms to do that directly to apra okay now the first thing to do is don't panic okay after this episode i want you to go to your current policy if you've got one and find out if it's an agreed value policy or not if you're not sure ring up your insurance company to find out that's the number one thing so what is an agreed value policy for income protection Now this just means when you applied for income protection, they agreed to pay you a set amount of money for your income protection monthly payment rather than worry about how much you earn at the time of the claim. Now, remember, income protection is basically when you get sick and you can't work for any reason, okay? There's also loss of job income protection and a few other add-ons that you could have had. You need to check your policy as to what you covered for. And generally speaking, there are stepped and level premiums. And generally speaking, there's agreed value policies of whatever, five dollars or $10,000 a year, whatever you want to insure yourself again. And also there's waiting periods, 30, 60, and 90 days is generally the standard, right? So what this means is, when you apply for income protection, they agreed to pay you a set amount of money for your income protection monthly payment rather than worry about how much you earn at the time of the claim. So this means that some people, as it stands, are covered for far more money or income than what they earn at present, okay? So this is actually good for the customer. This is very good for the consumer, in essence, Okay. So why are APRA worried about it? Why they're changing it? We've talked about the loss of billions of dollars in the business market uh, when they're trying to sell these policies. So why is this a bit of a problem apart from the overall loss-making in a proposition for the insurance companies? Well, it's great for consumers and it's great for customers, but it's a problem because the insurance companies, um, uh, because what's in it for the customer to return to full-time work and earn more? They can just sit around and not work or get medical certificates, and as long as they prove they're still incapacitated, right? So basically, if you've had a high-paying job, and you're getting an agreed monthly payment from your income protection, and you need to go back to work, well, your current work, just before you got sick, paid, let's say, you know less than what you earned at the time of the income protection policy, you're getting paid more than what you're actually earning. So what's in it for the customer to go back to work? It just makes no sense, right? And this is what APRA are really worried about. So what is the proposed change then? Well, they're proposing changing the payout of money based on the income at the time of the claim. So this means rather than giving out agreed value policies any time, the income protection company will give out policy and say, we will pay you based on your income at the time of the claim, okay? So is there any restrictions for this? Well, yes. They're saying not only is the income at the time of the claim is calculated, but they will use the annual income from the previous 12 months. Now, this is where it gets a bit hazy. I'm not sure if it's a calendar date that they're talking about. So is it from January 1st to December 31st, that your income that they're calculating for? Or are they going to be calculating from the financial year? Or is it going to be an academic year? This needs further clarification, but one would think it'll be the financial year. Okay, so why is this a potential problem? So essentially we've gone from agreed value policies to basically policies that pay you income protection money based on the amount of money that you earn at the time of the claim. What's the big deal? Well, this is the big deal. Supposing you have a high-paying job and they're restructuring. Then you may have a high-paying job for about six months and then have a lower-paying job due to the restructuring in the next six months. This means overall your average income is lower for that year which is then used to calculate your income projection in the setting of a claim, particularly if the claim happens towards the second half of the six months of your employment rather than the higher paying job in the first half of the, uh, of the year. So here are some real life examples. If you made redundant, uh, if you change to a lower paying job, if you lose your job, maternity leave, pregnancy, this disproportionately affects women business loss, and any financial loss. So it looks like the policy is going to be skewed much more to the insurance companies rather than the customers. Not that any skewing to the customer happened in the first place anyway, because insurance is just that. It's a loss-making proposition for the customer. You're not going to make any money from income protection, but you want to be protected at the time of your most vulnerable need. And I think this is where you need to go back and check your insurance policy and ring up your company to make sure are you covered for agreed value policies? Because if you are, then it's unlikely they're going to make you switch. What is the other big change? So that's that's the big change. Okay, but there are some other big changes. Okay, the other big changes are the agreed value policy cessation is the big change, but uh, there's also this change about not exceeding 100% of earnings at the time of the new claim. So what does this mean? Basically, what they're saying is from the 1st of July 2021, they're proposing new IP contracts will be designed so that the insurance benefits do not exceed 100% of earnings at the time of claim for the first six months of the claim, taking into account all the benefits paid under the IP contract, as well as any other sources of earned income. So basically, they're not going to just take your salary into account. They're going to take into any other income that you may have. So maybe if you've got a distribution or dividend portfolio, they're going to take that as earnings as well. Another big change, which again I didn't know about, is after the first six months, the benefits are capped at 75% of earnings at the time of the claim. That is, if after the first six months of claim period, the individual can't work still, then the benefits will be capped at 75%. And the other big change, again I didn't know this, is that any benefit could be capped at $30,000 per month which equates to about $360,000 per year, even if this is less than what the individual is earning at the time of the claim. This is an interesting one. Now, this one I didn't hear about until I actually researched about. This is a bit silly when you think about it because there are a lot of people who earn more than $360,000 per year. I know a lot of you are thinking, wow, that's a lot of money to earn. Um, Certainly in the medical uh, profession, in the health industry, um, you know, that's not uncommon. Um, dare I say, um, so many health professionals earn this sort of money because they work long hours and work hard. You're getting a very biased opinion here. So I guess if you're a doctor listening to this, save up, invest and become self-insured as quickly as possible and then ditch the income protection. Or anyone that's earning that sort of money, really, if they're going to just insure you for a maximum of $360,000 despite your income being greater, then what is the point of income protection? Because they're the ones that said, we'll pay you uh, you know, based on the amount of income that you earn. So basically, again, this is an added restriction that they're placing uh, on the income protection policies. Okay, so again, this is heavily skewed towards the insurance uh, companies here. Now, there's also this five-year rule. Again, this is this is interesting. I had to really research this to find out what they're proposing is from the first of July, 2021 they are proposing any new policy. The expectation is that it will only last for five years in the initial contract period and not forever, which means after this, there will be a review process. This is to ensure, and I quote, this change is said to ensure the terms and conditions of income protection insurance contracts remain up to date with the consumer's circumstances as well as external circumstances such as medical advancements. Does this mean if you want to renew after five years then, do you need a medical underwriting process? So are they are going to say, well, hang on, after the first five years, everything's hunky-dory, you haven't made any claims, but for us to cover you for the next five years, because remember, you're now five years older, you're going to have to go through a medical underwriting process. Well, the answer is no. They can't make you go through a medical process, and that's my understanding. But they want to review your finances, they want to review your health status, they might want to review your occupational status and income after the initial 5 years. And this sets up a situation where there may be an option for the insurer to ditch the customer is this possible? Again, I need to clarify, if you know more about this, if you're a financial planner or advisor or, or insurance broker uh, listening to this, you know, this sort of situation is a bit hazy, I'd be very interested for you to provide that opinion. Happy for you to do it in private to me and I'm happy to post it on Facebook or join up the Deviraga Personal Finance Facebook page and post it publicly. Now, There are also more stringent definitions um, of disability coming up. So basically IP or income protection is based on what disability makes you unable to work, right? So I think insurance companies will be able to define a disability to their choosing. So it's sort of, again, this is all very hazy, and this seems a little bit scary to me, this very Americanised concept of insurance or disability insurance. You know, what is a real disability for a person? Uh, you know, uh, it may not be considered a disability for the insurance company. Okay, so this is, again, slightly worrying. Now, I see this as a major problem with conditions which involve mental illness. Mental illness is often not seen externally. I mean, you can't see someone externally on a large scale and say, you're depressed or you're psychotic or you've got schizophrenia or PTSD and all that sort of stuff, right? Mental illness, particularly in Australia, but also around the world, is very, very poorly recognised, okay? Um, And I've always thought that, um, you know, like when you go park your car in a shopping centre and there's dedicated um, car spaces for um, uh, people with disabilities... Um, You know, mental illness is a form of disability, but the actual sign of the disability, which has a person in a wheelchair in it, it sort of stigmatises that you must have a disability that people can see and appreciate, otherwise you don't have a disability. Now, I've treated patients with conditions like multiple sclerosis, for example. Multiple sclerosis is not something that you can see unless it gets very, very advanced. But you can get conditions called optic neuritis where their vision is very poor, where patients have sensory problems, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So, you know, you might not be able to see that, but these people genuinely have disabilities. So, again, that creates a bit of a problem. What is a disability for you may not be a disability in the eyes of the insurance company, okay? So insurance companies may not recognize mental health. As a disability, I mean, this is very draconian, maybe I'm dramatising a little bit, um, but I'll be very interested to get your opinion about what you think about some of the changes that are proposed. You know, they're not live yet, they are proposed, and if you're really worried about them, I encourage you to, you know, email APRA um, based on the mechanisms available to provide feedback. So, you know, these are the main changes coming to effect. Now, if you think I've missed any changes, please contact me. I'm very, very interested. Again, the whole point of this episode is to educate, to empower people. So especially, you know, I I had a... I had a surgical registrar who's basically training to be a surgeon, doesn't have income protection, has just had a baby, Uh, wife's also a doctor, but obviously on, you know, looking after the baby now, you know, worried about income protection. So I, I want, you know, people like them to listen to this podcast, learn about it, research about it, educate themselves before they go to an insurance broker and say, okay, I'm now armed with my knowledge you know, how can you design a policy or have a policy for me that's going to make me and my family you know, as safe as possible in the event, of, in the unlikely event of a medical illness for this particular person? So, you know, these are the main changes. But if you're worried, if you're concerned, um, certainly check your insurance policy right now. You can still get agreed valued terms, I believe, before these changes come into effect. But I suspect the insurance companies are already aware of this and are probably instituting roadblocks for this to happen. Now, make sure you know what your current policy is, okay? So make sure you actually review your current policy. Now, I believe if you have an agreed policy, agreed value policy, um, I believe you'll be grandfathered in. So I don't think that can make you change something that you've had for many many years. Again, this is very hazy. I haven't had um you know read anything uh, absolute rock solid evidence that they can't make you switch to the new policy. I would be very interested, particularly if you're an insurance broker listening to this very interested um, to hear your thoughts on this so that's pretty much it for um, episode 66 make sure you think about personal insurance Now, many of you have contacted me already if you're a professional and your income is valuable to your lifestyle if you're trading your time for income and you think that you may get sick or you know i hope you don't get sick obviously but you know you need to protect yourself you know hope for the best but prepare for the worst then you know it would be madness in my opinion Not to have income protection or life insurance, okay? But of course, you need to review that, you need to discuss that with your uh, family members, discuss that with your extended family members, your trusted colleagues, and I'm happy for you to PM me if you want. I'm happy to help as much as I possibly can, you know, granted that I'm not a financial advisor or an insurance broker. Now, as always, pay yourself first, think about insurance, invest consistently, and always reinvest dividends. Uh, Doing all of this for the long-term, not the short-term. And my favorite bit of all, automating it. Make sure you automate it so that you don't forget about it. Um, It happens automatically in the background. And ultimately, ultimately in today's world, please stay safe. This is Dev Personal Finance, Episode 66, signing off. Hold up. What was that?